Welcome everyone to SaltCast. My name is Bob Turner and I serve as the director of the Sunset Academy of Leadership Training or SALT. And once again, I have good friend Justin Vanderveer with us today. Hello, Justin. Hey, hey. Thank you for joining us and continuing this discussion about recovery and recovery ministry and how leaders within the church can benefit from uh, a recovery ministry in their congregation and what that might look like. In fact, that's, that's really how I'd like to begin today is if you would take some time to give us a little bit about what the process looks like, what kind of steps are involved if, a, if an eldership was looking to implement a recovery ministry, then what would they need to do or what, what steps would they take in order to do that? So first step I think would be to, you know, find out, is this a need in your community? My suspicion would be that it is. Um, second would be to find out uh, what the buy-in is from leadership. So elders, ministers, um, and then maybe at some point, some of those, um, influential members we all have them we all know who they are mm -hmm. uh just kind of take a poll and see uh, where that is because you don't want to start the process only to have to battle those um put out those fires later uh third would be to in that in that group of leaders that you end up having as kind of your team that's looking into this ministry. Several of you would need to invest in going through the process of the 12 steps. Now, why the 12 steps? Why not go through um, the eight principles that Celebrate Recovery has? You could do that. And that would be certainly an option. Um, eventually they have step work as well. And it's as intensive, if not more, but what it does is it, it's, you are going to be investing in uh, the process that you're eventually going to be leading people in. Wow. And that will also give you a really good uh, amount of exposure to this culture. Um, you can do that with a, from a traditional model. You could go to a, just an AA group. They have open meetings where all you have to do is say you have a desire. Um, that could be a desire to just be more like Christ, you know, um, but just have a desire uh, to do something different than you're doing today uh, versus a closed meeting, which would be just for people who would identify as being addicts or alcoholics or codependence or whatever the group may be. Um, so get into a step group, um, work through those steps. It takes about, uh, on average eight to 10 weeks. So it's a little bit of a commitment, but the commitment is good. Um, again, you're going to be eventually asking this of others. And so I think it's always a good model for leaders to not ask something of people that they're not willing to do themselves. Um, also any kind of bias, any kind of preconceived notion, uh, common sense, 
that you may have, and we all do, you're going to eventually come up against and have to decide where you, you stand on that. And finally, um, it would be to, um, to, to begin. Um, so you've gone through the process, you've seen what it looks like. Um, you've polled the uh, other leaders you've polled, you've gotten buy-in from them. Um, you say it's a need for my community. Uh, the next thing would be to, I guess, pick what kind of vehicle you want to use. And when I mean vehicles, um, we'll probably talk about this here in a second, but uh, it's the resource that you're going to use in which to uh, get people from the point that they're at, which is maybe inactive addiction to this process of transformation, also known as the process of recovery. Um, there are many different vehicles. All you got to do is choose one, be um, okay with it from a theological standpoint, from a, um, you know, your own personal um, equity standpoint. So for instance, if you went to a life or a um, celebrate recovery uh, step group and went through that whole process, you would be familiar with that vehicle as a as a way of transporting uh, recovery to individuals that might be the best bet but the beauty of starting from ground zero is you get to choose what the vehicle is right you know and so um once you've done that um you're going to want to uh, kind of step through um how you're going to give uh, offer that to people so are you going to have a meeting, one meeting throughout the week. Uh, you have two meetings throughout the week and then have a uh, kind of a bigger meeting on, a, on the weekend, the Saturday or a Sunday. So you have a more uh, specific meeting on maybe a Monday or a Tuesday where you're just talking and working through the steps versus a meeting on Saturday, which is bigger and open to everybody and uh, new people are, are welcomed in that meeting and it's more of a family's type affair. Um, so you'll work through kind of the, the formation of that, the structure of that, right. um, and how you can get your church involved and what that looks like. Well, and you, you mentioned resources. I, mean, so I know there are a number of resources that would benefit uh, leadership in thinking about a recovery I know there are a number of books that are out there. There are other resources besides books that um, that I know you're familiar with. So if you would take take a few moments and tell tell us about that. What what kind of resources would benefit uh, leadership as they think about a recovery ministry? Um, just whatever resources that might be. Absolutely. So your big ones um, would be if you wanted. Now, I wouldn't. I would advise this. Where I, I, I'm, I actively encourage congregations to step away from the. Um, we have an AA meeting that meets in the basement format, um, and you want to, you know, move that up from the basement into a, a common space, and that ultimately you want to introduce Christ, whereas AA introduces um, God and a higher power. 
uh, but they don't name Jesus. So uh, although that is a resource that I think you want to look into, because when we talk about recovery and recovery culture, whatever the model that you choose, the vehicle that you choose, it's going to be influenced by AA. Uh, it's going to be influenced by Bill W., Dr. Bob, and, and those who influenced them and those who contributed to what we now have as the big book. Um, the, it's, a, it's a foundation which everyone else has borrowed from to some degree or another. Now, it's okay because it really borrowed from the Bible to begin with and was influenced by scripture. So really you're just getting back to the main resource, which is God's word. But if you want to do that and have that be more of a um, intertwined thing, if you want to build that bridge, then you could use uh, the life uh, recovery material. They have a Bible out there, life recovery Bibles. They have that in the, um, NLT version. They have it in, um, the King James version. Unfortunately, that's the only two versions they have it in. Uh, but then you have, um, the, um, I just went blank. Um, <laughs> I just mentioned it several times. Um, but life recovery Bibles, they also have other materials. So they have step work guides, they have devotionals, they have journals. There's a bunch of, uh, material that goes in with that, um, that one vehicle. So you get all of those with that and it becomes, uh, helpful to use all those for different reasons. Uh, then you have the um, Celebrate Recovery. Goodness, couldn't think of it. <laughs> Celebrate Recovery, <laughs> probably one of the largest ones, um, really started to come about in the 90s, uh, early 90s, which is really when you started to see a, a pretty good push for this movement within the Christendom as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, so Life Reco or, uh, Celebrate Recovery has a Bible. They have an NIV um, and a few other versions. Uh, good, good Bible, good solid Bible. There is commentary in there. It's all just like the Life Recovery Bible. It's going to be geared towards recovery, uh, but people like it. Uh, people in recovery like both of those Bibles, um, and they come with their own set of of materials as well um so you get all that uh another one would be the overcomers material not as much there um definitely life recovery material and celebrate recovery are the two biggies um but then you have other resources you have um these guys they're um uh, they've got a meditation uh, book, which I really like, but they also have um, other literature that you can get. It's Meditations for the 12 Steps, A Spiritual Journey. Um, and then a writer who I really like, 
who is actually a Franciscan monk by, uh, I guess, trade, if you will, if you want to say that. His name is Richard Rohr. He's wrote, written a, a number of books. He's been doing this for a lot of, a long time. And he's got some really good material. Um, breathing underwater, spirituality and the 12 steps is a good uh, resource. Um, so those are just some to maybe reference for now. I, I think it's important to read through the, uh, what, what AA calls the big book. You can get that on uh, Kindle. You can get that on, um, your Apple, your iBooks, um, pretty much anywhere, you, you know, you have a, an app you can get that through or you can go and buy it in hard copy and, and that's going to give you a foundation for the dialogue the the narrative the the terminology there's a lot it's a lot more than i was expecting <laughs> yeah there's there's it's a and that's the thing and it can be like uh, you and i are runners you go into the running store and there's all these shoes. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, for an average person, you go into the grocery store and you want to get one thing and you got to choose between 30 different options. Yeah. They estimate that we make like 10,000 to 35,000 choices in a day, in a single day. So there is a lot of choices and it can become uh, kind of a, a thing like what, what's the best choice? You want to just uh, read through and do some research and see what, what are my uh, goals? What are my convictions? Uh, what are we, what do, what do we think is really going to work best in our environment with our, our congregation, with our community, uh, those types of things, and then just make the best decision and believe that God can, can use it. Okay. Well, I know that uh, we've touched on a couple of different areas here that kind of lead to a kind of main question I'd like to ask. Um, when a congregation starts this process and they start down this path, it, it's going to bring change. I mean, it's, it's going to bring massive change to a congregation, both structurally, emotionally. I mean, it, it really does introduce some major things. What would you tell leaders that they need to expect when it comes to uh, the beginning of a program like a recovery ministry, when, it, when we're talking about the use of the building, and we're talking about the influence of members because members are going to be the ones who are experiencing a lot of this change, whether it's people sitting uh, maybe in their spot where they've been sitting and now somebody new's coming and they're sitting in that spot. How do they, what expectations do they need to have and how should they respond uh, to some of those things when they begin to occur once recovery begins? Yeah. Change is such a a difficult thing for us as human beings. Um, it's it's not an easy thing, but it's a required thing. And so you're going to expect. I mean, first, you know, an obvious maybe is this: the change is going to be happening, and that some people are going to respond maybe negative negatively to that. Um, I think that's apparent 
no matter what the change is. Um, so I would say more specifically with having a recovery ministry that you have to expect change because change is foundational to what recovery is. It is asking somebody to surrender a way of life that they have lived for maybe, you know, a lifetime at this point, 30, 40, 50 years, even some, some individuals and to really buy into Romans 12, one and two, you know, and I think all of us are trying to do that. At least we talk about trying to do that, but this is a real intentional Uh, practical application of of that process and so I think what members can expect is probably a little bit of uh, uncomfortability mm. um, whether that's as simple as I used to sit in this seat now somebody's sitting in it to this person is joyous and I'm not and I'm angry about it mm. you know I, like I'm not telling you I'm angry about it. I'm, I'm reacting in a way that is demonstrating that there's something going on. And that is either going to be fleshed out by the person, by the individual. They're either going to ask, why, why is that? Or they're going to leave, maybe. Um, you know. But we're all called to that deeper level of reflection as Christians and so you know you can expect for some of those to start happening when you see genuine joy it makes you start asking well what do I have <laughs> you know <laughs> um, when you see vulnerability and transparency and honesty on a level that you've never experienced you start asking yourself well you know why can't I do that or what would it be like if I did do that? Um, and that's from the top down. I mean, I think as ministers, we have to be more vulnerable and more honest and more transparent. Not that you want to air out your dirty laundry to everybody that comes down the road. I mean, even people in recovery know that you got to be uh, responsible with that. That's why we have sponsors and, and accountability partners. But that's gonna there's an expectation that we're not gonna here's you either are gonna come with us we're gonna be doing this we're gonna be transparent with one another we're gonna be vulnerable with one another we're gonna be moving in the direction of spiritual transformation now if you aren't coming with us in that journey that gap is going to increase and this is what we see in congregations that bring in celebrate recovery they'll say well, they're an island all of themselves. Right. Maybe, maybe, or maybe you just are not wanting to bridge the gap there and join them in that journey and vice versa, you know, because there is a, a uh, mutual upbuilding that has to occur. You've got something that I need and I've got something that you need. And we got to come to uh, this place together and bridge this gap that exists. But I think you can expect that 
those things are going to start to come to the surface. Right. And then when they do, you're going to have to decide what you're going to do about it. Um, how are you going to address it? Now, as far as using the building, it's going to start, if it wasn't getting used a lot, if it was only getting used on Wednesday and Sunday and maybe twice on Sunday, you know, it's going to start getting used more, uh, which is a wonderful thing. Sure. Um, you know, it, but that's going to require a little bit of logistics. Okay. We weren't having to clean it this often. Now we're having to clean it this often. We weren't having to think about, you know, coffee. Now we are, you know, these are all minor things that ultimately help somebody hopefully hear the message of truth that hopefully says, Hey, you got a cup of water that's going to be empty at the end of this session. Here's a cup of water that will never run dry, you mm -hmm. know? So, um, that's a good thing. You, you know, when you start to introduce those logistical issues, those, I think we need to reframe those as, as good things, um, that we're experiencing. So I think, you know, you don't, some terms you can't really <laughs> throw around without, without, um, causing some, some heart palpations. <laughs> but this is, you can expect for something transformational to be happening. And I think when you do, when it does, um, it's going to call into um, question what I really do feel and what I really do believe, you know. If, for instance, you look differently than me and you, and that bothers me, you know, it's going to become apparent. Um, if you talk differently than me, that's going to become apparent. You know, if you're, if you need to go outside and smoke a cigarette and I don't, that's going to become apparent. Um, but we have to take in mind that, you know, the person who may be outside smoking a cigarette is contemplating giving up those cigarettes but they also don't want to start shooting heroin into their veins again. Mm. And so they're just not there yet. Uh, now, do we co-sign them never getting there? No, we don't do that. We try to find acceptance and understanding for where they're at right now and look at what it looks like to try to get them where they want to be. Um, so, that, but that's a, that's a, that takes a lot of mental effort to do that on an individual basis. So I think you're going to have to expect that people are going to have to start using that, that muscle and <laughs> in between their ears. <laughs> yeah. And connected to this one, you know? <laughs> yes. Well, and you've mentioned several times, uh, different terminology that relates back to uh, the area that I love about your vision for hope, and that is to, to be that harmonious bridge between the church and recovery and to not see them as separate entities, but working together in ministry to help reconcile people to Christ. So, well, I tell you, I love this. I, I love just sitting and listening and, and hearing you describe the various things about the ministry. And, and I know the information is going to be helpful, hopefully, to congregations that are contemplating getting involved and creating a, a recovery ministry for their congregation. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for your time and, and thank you for your expertise in that. 
Uh, we've got some more we're going to talk about. I want to thank everyone for listening in today again. And uh, just continue to go back. If you haven't heard the first two sessions, go back and listen to those and join us as we continue our discussion with Justin about recovery and recovery ministry and how the church uh, can benefit from that. But thank you for tuning in. God bless and have a great day and we'll see you next time.